Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. You know, we're in our summer series, and right in the middle of it almost, and this whole summer series, we're trying to address questions that Jesus asked in Scripture. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus asking almost 300 questions. Some of them similar, some of them the same uh, or similar, but different. And so we're only tackling not 300 of them, but nine, right, over the summer. And today we come to this question that Jesus asks, who is greater? Now, what a curious question. It makes me think a little bit about Jesus' character, his personality, and I wonder, was Jesus a competitive person? I mean, did he love to win at games or sports or whatever he was playing as a kid? Was he competitive? What kind of ambition did Jesus have? Dreams and hopes for his life. Um, Did Jesus want to be great? We know that he was a carpenter builder. Did he want to be the greatest carpenter builder known in Nazareth and the surrounding region? Did he want to be excellent and great at his craft? As Jesus thinks of us, Does he want us to be great, to live great lives, to accomplish greatness? This question he asks leads us to just have a conversation about greatness. And I want to acknowledge that I believe that we all have this desire at one point or another in our life to accomplish greatness, to live great lives. I believe that. I mean, think of when we were all kids. Um, I wanted to be a superhero. Like, I was just enamored by superheroes. And let's just do a show of hands in the room, kids included. Who's the greatest, Superman or Batman? Superman, hands raised. Superman's the greatest. Batman, hands raised. A little bit. You know what? The last night, crowd Superman won out. I mean, Batman won. Today, I would say Superman is the greatest. You know, but we wanted to be superheroes as kids. I wanted to. I wanted to accomplish things that no one else accomplished. I wanted to do things that no one else had done. Wanted to be great as a kid. There was a summer job that I had that I wanted to be great at. I wanted to be the greatest. I tree planted for seven summers while I was going through school. And what we would do is we would go into areas of Alberta and BC that had been forested, and we and our crew, we would go in after and replant, reforest that whole area. And um, I wanted to be the best on our crew, but there was this one guy who always beat me. He would always plant more trees, not always, but most of the time plant more trees than I would. And at the end of every day, we would come to our boss and we'd say, hey, boss, I planted this many trees. And, and I was always listening for the number of trees that his, he planted to see if I beat him. And the days that I would, which wasn't very often that I would beat him, man, I felt so good inside because I was the greatest, I was the best, you know. And um, so one day, we were going to this clear-cut area and and just knowing the piece of land that it was that we were planting, we knew that it could be a record-setting day for us. And so I had in mind that I had this goal that I was going to try and plant more than 4,000 trees that day. And I had never done this before. Planted over 3,000 many days, but 4,000 trees was my goal. And I thought, if I could do that, maybe I could beat this guy. And so I uh, had that goal partway through the day. I knew that I was going to accomplish that. And not just squeak over the 4,000 tree mark, but maybe even hit 4,500 trees. 
And so my boss came by maybe middle of the day and he asked how I'm doing. I said, yeah, I'm going I'm to reach my goal. And, and I said, well, so how's so-and-so doing? And he said, he's, he's on pace to plant over 5,000 trees. <laughs> I thought, oh no, he's beat me again. And I did my best, but my best wasn't great enough. And, and he beat me again. You see, competition ambition, comparison. We need to be cautious when we act in these ways because of the emotions that it raises in us, because of the motivation of our hearts, right? When we do competitive, when we're, when we're comparing and ambition and competitiveness. But here's the truth. As human beings, we can become the people, the, individual, the individuals that God has created us to be. And I believe that this desire for greatness that we have within us is linked to our sense of destiny that we have as being human beings created in the image of God. And then we encounter Christ and he makes a brand, us a brand new creation. We become new people from the inside out. And, and, and because of this, we want our lives to count. We want, our, we want to make a contribution in this world. We want meaning and purpose in our lives. We have the sense of destiny that we're created to live for, and we want to be significant. We want meaning and purpose, and we don't want to live average lives. I mean, who among us wants to live a mediocre life? We don't want to live mediocre lives. We want to be great, and God has not created you to live a lesser life than he had in mind for you to live. He wants you and I to live for greatness, but the and, and this question that Jesus asks, well, who is greater, leads us to, to discover the pathway of greatness, to find out a way to greatness. And the passage that we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Luke chapter 22, verses 24, is what we're going to be looking at. And the context here, the setting for these verses that takes place is this is Jesus' last night with his disciples. They're having the last supper together. On this night, Jesus will be betrayed. On the next day, Jesus will be crucified. And Jesus is having this meal with his disciples. And after the meal, Jesus asks, or he makes this comment to his disciples. Imagine this. Jesus sitting with the 12 apostles around him. And Jesus makes this comment. He says, tonight, one of you in the room is going to betray me. Wow. I mean, how would that comment have gone down in that room? If there was an, ever an awkward moment in the Bible, this is the awkward moment <laughs> where Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me. And as we imagine how the conversation went from here, perhaps then all the disciples started to be defensive. That would be a natural response. Well, not me. Not me. Maybe they were bold enough to say, he will betray you, but not me. Surely I won't. And then maybe, like we see in Scripture here, the, the conversation went to a conversation about who was better than the other. And maybe one of the disciples said, well, I have done more miracles than you have. And so I'm the greatest and surely I'm not going to betray Jesus. And then maybe someone said, well, I've spent more time with Jesus one-on-one and surely I'm not going to betray him. And then John, right, pulls out the trump card saying, well, Jesus loves me more than he does all of you. So surely I'm not the one that's going to betray him. But we get to verse 24. All of that was the context for this verse that says this, also... A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. A dispute 
an argument, a quarrel. Jesus' disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom. They knew, they presumed that there would be a pecking order. And so they wanted to know who was going to be at the top in Jesus' kingdom that he was establishing and who would be second and third and who would be last. This is the discussion that they were having. And in this discussion the disciples are having, we see something about the way to greatness. You see, the ordinary way that we think about achieving greatness, arriving at greatness, the way that our mainstream culture and our world understands this way to greatness is that greatness is something that you have to fight for. Greatness is something that's fought for. Greatness is something that you have to work hard to achieve. It requires great effort. Greatness is something that you win. Greatness is a struggle. Greatness in this struggle then creates winners and losers and first and last. And in order to achieve greatness, our mainstream culture believes in order to achieve greatness, you have to actually fight over people and over others in order to achieve greatness. And we see here the disciples are fighting, they're arguing, they're bickering over who would be the greatest. Perhaps putting one another down, perhaps comparing themselves to one another. You see, when you achieve greatness along this paradigm, along this way of thinking that's mainstream culture, what happens is you're constantly looking over your shoulder. And you're thinking, is there anybody behind me who's almost as good as I am, who's greater than I am, that's going to come and steal what I have, what I've achieved? It creates worry and anxiety within us. Are we good enough? Is someone coming behind us? that's going to take away what we have. It creates insecurity among us when we try and achieve greatness in this way. And worst of all, self-doubt, because we're wondering, do I have the effort? Do I have the talent? Do I have the energy? Do I have the, the strength, the power, the authority, the influence to maintain the level of greatness that I have, that I have achieved? And however you define that, have I, do I have what it takes to maintain this or will I lose this at some point in my life and therefore not be great any longer? You see, this way of thinking is so predominant, it's hard for us even to understand that there's a different way to greatness. So the disciples are fighting and arguing. We see that right here in the text. And then here's the thing, though, the curious thing. If Jesus didn't want his disciples to talk about greatness, to think about greatness, to wonder about greatness, this would have been the time for Jesus to just shut down the whole conversation. This would have been the time for Jesus to say, look, stop it. Don't talk about greatness. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's not something I want you to even have your mind paying attention to. you got to get rid of that way of thinking. Stop it. But... Jesus doesn't do that at all. He doesn't do that. We don't, he, we don't see Jesus coming down hard on them at this point. What we see is Jesus redirecting their conversation. Jesus reframing their conversation. And in doing so, Jesus essentially says, be great. Be great. Achieve greatness. Live for greatness. I want you to know something about yourself that If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God by his spirit is at work in you, shaping you, transforming you, who you are from the inside out, and the Holy Spirit does not create anything that isn't great. 
God has prepared some things that he wants you to accomplish, Ephesians 2.10 says. God has some great things in mind for you to do. Even that verse beforehand says that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to accomplish good works, what he prepared in advance for you to be about. God doesn't create anything that's great. Psalm 139 says to all of us in this room, the youngest to the oldest, that we all are fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, to talk and think about and and want to live great lives is not something that's wrong. But what makes all the difference, what makes all the difference, absolutely the critical difference, is what kind of greatness you are pursuing. So Jesus interrupts the conversation here with his disciples, and Jesus gives us the most counterintuitive, backwards, upside-down, mind-bending definition of what greatness really is. Jesus essentially says, here's the path to greatness. Jesus says this in verse 25 here. Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority are called call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Jesus singles out two titles, two positions of authority, two positions of power and greatness, and describes them, and in in essence, Jesus says, but you're not supposed to be like that kind of greatness. And we'll get to what Jesus says we should be like in a moment. Jesus says here, kings and benefactors. Kings obviously ruled over a territory. Kings obviously exercised authority and power over others. They ruled their territory. And they were honored and respected by those who lived under their authority and under their rule. And kings had status and fame and wealth. The other title here that Jesus talks about is benefactor which was a title of honor for princes and emperors. Princes and emperors occupied positions of power and authority and wealth, and they would require patronage from those who lived under their authority and under their rule so that those who lived under them would honor them and pay homage to them and give them gifts and and prosper their wealth and their agenda. Kings and rulers, benefactors, appeared great. And it's clear that people in that day and age would have understood this. Certainly kings and benefactors are great. They looked great because of their position. Many people would likely obey them and they had power, they had wealth, they had money, they were honored. And the disciples looked at this system of government, this system of hierarchy, and the disciples really, they wanted to be kings. They wanted to be benefactors. They wanted high positions of wealth and prosperity and authority and power and influence and a great reputation and they wanted fancy titles and they wanted to be on the top. Jesus said that he was establishing his kingdom after all. They presumed that this kingdom that Jesus was establishing would have a hierarchy and they wanted to be included as part of this hierarchy But Jesus says, you see that way of leadership and that way of exercising power and authority, kings and benefactors, you are not to be like that. You see, this ancient 
definition of greatness, this ancient paradigm of greatness that, that was in effect in that day and age and that the disciples saw is still in effect today. It's, it's the way that we think about greatness at times. It's the way that we think about power and authority and influence and prestige and fame. We're caught up in this culture of ours. Certainly this is what our city believes is greatness and would define as greatness. Those who have celebrity like status, we would say, well, they're great. Those who have wealth, we would say, well, they're great. Those who have high positions, fancy titles, we would say, well, they're great. Those who have accomplished great feats, we would say, well, they're great. Those who maybe even have so many followers on their social media platforms, we might assume, well, they're great because people are following them. Maybe those people who make videos that go viral on YouTube or whatever, we might even conclude, well, they're great because lots of people like what they're doing and they have followers, so they're great. See, Jesus' words to his disciples way back then are true for us today. You're not supposed to buy in to the mainstream definition of greatness. Jesus says to us, you and I, we are not to be like that. Greatness is not that. Just because someone has wealth does not necessarily mean that they are great. Just because someone has fame does not necessarily equal that they are great. Just because, put in, fill in the blank, whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are great or live great lives or have achieved greatness according to Jesus' criteria. To be a king, to be a prime minister, to be a president does not equal greatness. It might mean something else, but not necessarily greatness the way that Jesus defines it for us. Jesus says, if you want to be great, don't be like that. If you want to be like that, Jesus would say, well, you have permission to be like that, but that's not greatness. That's something other than greatness. And here's the key word in our text, because the next verse starts out with instead. Jesus says, you've got kings and benefactors, but don't be like that. Instead, here's what we read. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? The table was a place of honor. Those who were honored and had prestige would sit at the table. Jesus says, is it not the one at the table? That's what our world thinks. But I am among you as one who serves. See, Jesus radically transforms, redefines, reshapes, gives us a complete different, different paradigm of greatness. Greatness in Jesus' terms, is like the youngest. Greatness is the one who serves. Jesus makes a correlation. Greatness is youngest. Greatness is the one who serves. And Jesus says, I am the one who is among you, the one who serves. Now, what does Jesus mean here when he says youngest? What's he getting at here? Jesus is saying to become like a child. In other parallel texts here in Matthew and Mark, we read, that Jesus uses the term child there. Jesus is not saying to, that we should become childish, 
but that we should become childlike. And the central idea that Jesus is getting at here is this, that children don't have any way of understanding or comprehending social status. Children have no comprehension of economic status. Children don't see a person and judge them and think, well, you're important, I'll treat you this way. You're not important, I'll treat you this way. Children have no understanding of who is wealthy and who is poor, who is educated, who is uneducated, who is famous, who is unknown. Children don't have that ability to, maybe we wish sometimes we wouldn't have, you know, have that, that, that programming to think about people. When a child sees a person, they see that person for simply who they are right in front of them. They don't measure people, compare people compartmentalize people. A child sees a person and maybe would think, well, you're smiling at me. You're friendly. I like you. (laughs) And a child becoming like a child, becoming like the youngest where the person that we see in front of us, regardless of who they are, in spite of who they are, in spite of their wealth, in spite of their power, in spite of their authority and influence, in spite of their poverty or whatever they find, in spite of all of that, you hold a person in high regard. You hold a person with highest, in high esteem. And you honor them and respect them simply because they are a human being. You see, this is what Jesus is getting at. In order to be great, you must become like the youngest. Now, what is Jesus meaning here when he says, the ruler become like a servant? See, a servant was the person at the bottom of the social ladder, the lowest person in that day and age, marginalized by society. And quickly here, Jesus just implies That greatness does not come from using all of your might and your resources and your power and your influence to rule over people, but instead using all of the resources that you have to serve others for the benefit of others. You see, a servant is always caring about others. Always about others. Jesus says, the greatest among you should become the servant of all. The servant of all. This is... The grand reversal that Jesus brings to us that redefines how we understand greatness. This is massive, church. Massive. What Jesus is saying is if you know me, if you understand what I'm about, if you understand who I am, if you understand why I came, if you understand how I am among you right now, then you will understand you will understand that greatness is not looking down on anyone, but greatness is arriving at humility and humbling yourself to the lowest possible to serve for the benefit of others. To serve for the benefit of others. Now here is the problem. Here's the speed bump for us. Here's the rub, okay, for you and I to live this pathway of greatness. Here it is. Because people with wealth, people with power and authority, people with fame and influence, and I would would lump all of us into this category. We think and we feel that we deserve what we have achieved. We feel that we've worked hard and we've sacrificed to gain what we have. That we have paid the price and worked hard and extended our effort and energy to get where we're at, 
to get to the place of wealth that we have, to get to the place of influence and authority and fame and a reputation that we have. We have worked hard for what we have, and frankly, we deserve it because we've earned it. This is the way that we think. If we're honest with ourselves, at times. See, people with wealth, power, fame, prestige, I would lump all of us into that category. We feel that we have paid the price and we have achieved greatness. And we might even say we have a right to this. We have earned this. We've worked hard for this. We deserve this. But you see, that's not humility. True greatness comes when you believe that all you have is a gift and you don't deserve any of it at all. That is the starting point for greatness. That's the foundational place to start, the foundational place of humility. True greatness is that you don't look down on anybody else, you don't despise anyone, anybody else. In fact, you don't think you're better than anybody else, no matter who they are. You're not better than anybody else. When you come to believe that, not just understand it in your head, but think it and believe it in your, in your mind and live it out with your heart, then you've started on the pathway to greatness. True greatness is when you believe you're not better than anyone else because you know, you know, you know, you know that all of you have and all that you are is a gift received from God as a good father. And you don't deserve any of it. This is the perspective that we must have to start living lives of greatness. This humility is a requirement. You see, we have to deal with our human hearts that want to hold on to things so tightly, that feel like we deserve what we have, we've earned it. And you know what, church, if I'm honest with you, this way of thinking is really arrogant and prideful and so self-centered. And I see it at times in me, and I know at times it's in your heart as well. And we just need to call it what it is. It's arrogance. Because here's the thing. If we feel and we truly believe that what we have, we deserve. What about people who don't have? Do they deserve that? If we think that we get what we deserve and we deserve what we've achieved, then really we must think that others who don't have deserve what they get. And that's not true. You see, and if, the, if I've sparked a nerve in you, if it's even sparked in your mind that, you know what, maybe I do need to examine how my heart is about what I have, what I own, my reputation, my influence that I have. You know what, we need to repent of that. We need to confess that. Humble ourselves. Because here's the truth. This is what the Bible says. That not even the current great leaders, maybe great, maybe not, leaders in our world today, have not deserved, they have not earned, or arrived at their places of achievement or wealth or whatever it is. Here's what Romans 13 verse 1 says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Even who we might think would be the greatest leader does not deserve that position. It is a gift. It's a gift. So why would it be any different than us? So practically, what does this look like here? 
What does this look like? How do we start this pathway of greatness? How do we live this way? I want to just offer you three practical realities. The first is this. When you serve others and are okay without receiving any gratitude, any thank yous, any positive affirmation, any way to goes, when you are okay with not getting any of that positive feedback when you serve someone, you are on the pathway to greatness. Because here's the thing, if you serve someone, if you're generous or kind to someone in some way and you expect a thank you, you expect a gratitude, perhaps you are only serving to make yourself feel good. Perhaps you're only serving to get a pat on the back to say, wow, what I did was so awesome and they thanked me for it and that's great. Look at how great I am. When you're okay with not getting any gratitude, any thank yous, any positive feedback, then you are on the pathway to greatness. To just just describe this a bit more, little kids, babies, are a good example of this. Because here's the truth. Babies are completely ungrateful. Absolutely, hands down, ungrateful. Ungrateful human beings. And I'm not coming down on babies. I love babies. But here's the thing. They give us no cues of positive feedback. When has a baby ever said, thank you for feeding me? Thank you for changing my diaper. They don't give us any cues. They don't give us nods. They don't give us winks. They don't give us smiles even until maybe two months old or three months old. They don't thank you at all. Completely ungrateful. I mean, they, they even wreck your schedule and keep you up at night. And here's the only positive clue that I could find out to babies is, you know what? Any, the only positive feedback they might give us as parents is when they're asleep. Because we know that they're content enough to fall asleep. And, we're, and they're okay. And then they give us the gift of sleep for a few hours or so. Right? But here's the thing. Is there anything that any one of us in this room would not do for a baby? There's nothing. There's nothing that we wouldn't do for a baby. And here's where I'm going with this. When you serve others and you're okay with no thank yous, with no gratitude, with no positive feedback. Now, obviously, it's nice to get that from people. But if you're okay with with not getting any of that, then you know that you are serving others completely and purely out of love. Out of love. Then you're on the pathway to greatness. You know you're on the pathway to greatness when you serve those who have no power, when they have no authority, when they have, no, when they have nothing to offer you in return. You see, those who have no power, no authority, nothing to give you, Those who have no authority, they have nothing to help you with. They have nothing at their disposal to advance your cause, to advance your fame, your wealth, your influence, whatever that might be. They have nothing to give you that would make your life more successful, more pleasurable, more contented. They can't open doors for advancement for you in any way. They have nothing to offer you. And when you serve those who have no power, no authority and you're okay with that, and you find joy in that, a deep joy and contentment, then you know you're serving others purely out of love. When, you, when you're okay and you find joy in serving those with no power, then you're on the pathway to greatness. Last, when you serve others 
You know you're on the pathway to greatness when you serve others who have no position. They have no position with which to influence your position. They have no way to make your reputation greater. They have no way to make others like you more or appreciate you more or honor you more or expand your reputation. When you serve others with no position, when there's nothing that they can do to bring you more honor and more respect, then you know you're on the pathway to greatness because you are serving simply out of love for the other person. As you think about it, didn't Jesus serve us this way? Didn't Jesus serve us this way? I mean, what could we, what kind of thank you could we give that would, you know, towards how Christ has served us? Because even when we were not even ready to say thank you to him or express gratitude to him in any sort of way, he died for us. What do we have that could advance Jesus in any sort of way? What would we have that he needs? What sort of influence do we have that would expand his reputation? See, Jesus serves us in this same way. And he's the one who can call us then to serve like he did. See, here's what we do sometimes. When we meet people, sometimes we, we measure people. You know, we enter a room, we might say, well, hey, this per- I might want to connect with this person. I want to build a relationship with this person. You know, this person might be able to help me out in some sort of way, or I know these people have this, and I need that. And, and we kind of measure people in this way to, to get really what we want. And what we do sometimes is we screen out others, and we think, well, these people maybe I'm not going to spend time with. These individuals can't prosper me in any way. In fact, these people, they might be a drain in my life and drain to me, so I'm not going to pursue them. You see, this is the way that our world works. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be humble. As a child, be humble. Be a servant of all. See, what if Jesus had screened us out of his plan? What if he had said, well, I'm going to screen you out. You have nothing to offer me. You have nothing great that I need. You have nothing that can help me in any way. I'm going to screen you out completely because actually you're a drain on me. What if Jesus had said that? Where would we be? You see, let's not be like that, church. Let's not be like that at all. In fact, Jesus will say the opposite. Welcome those who will be a drain on you. Welcome those who need something that you have. Welcome those who will not advance you in any sort of way, who have nothing to offer you. Welcome those. Serve those. Be kind to those. Be generous to those. Love those. Do you see how Jesus' definition of greatness is completely in opposition to how our world thinks of greatness. So counter to the way our world works, to the way that Calgary perhaps works. But you know what? Our world needs greatness the way that Jesus defines it. Our world needs greatness 
servants. A world needs those who will walk in the way of greatness like Jesus describes and calls us to. See, Jesus left his throne in heaven. He's king. Creator of the world, he left his throne in heaven. Came to earth. Humbled himself, became a human being. Lived on this world as a human being and became a servant of all. And he humbled himself even lower to become a sacrifice as a criminal on a cross, all in order to serve. He expended his life in so many ways for the sake of others. He lifted others up. He advanced others. He considered others better than himself. And he served others. And from that place, then God exalted Jesus Christ, raised him back to life, and has seated Jesus in heaven right now as king. And this is the way to greatness. Jesus says, unless you become like a servant, unless you become a child, you will have no place in my kingdom. But if you surrender yourself and humble yourself like a child, like a servant of all, then you will have a place in my kingdom. And if we look just a few verses more, Jesus says to his disciples that I confer upon you, I give you a kingdom, just as my father gave me a kingdom. And so that you may eat and drink at my table, Jesus says, if you become like a servant, you will eat at my table. You will have a position of honor at my table. And Jesus says here then, and you will sit on the thrones Judging the 12 tribes of Israel, Jesus says, you will have a place of rule in my kingdom. But to get there, you need to become like a child and you need to become a servant of all. And that, Jesus says, is a definition and a way to greatness. See, there's no better visual for us in this serving way that Jesus called us to than than the elements of a piece of bread and a cup of juice. When we think of how great Jesus was as a servant, there's no two better elements that we look at to see how he served us. See, if we go back, still here in Luke chapter 22, just a few verses, Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper in the upper room. We read this in verse 19, that he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Poured out for you. See, what Jesus is saying here in modeling and doing is that he chose willingly, he chose intentionally, he chose proactively. It was a choice of his will to sacrifice himself. He chose the path of servanthood very intentionally and willingly. He chose to die to serve us so that we could have a life with God forever. He chose this. What if Jesus had not served us in this way? Can you imagine our lives? 
Can you imagine? We would constantly be trying to work hard, perform good acts, perform good works, trying to make peace with God, trying to make ourselves better, to try and live a more moral life, a good life, an impactful life. We would constantly be trying to think, have we measured up? Have we been great enough to have a relationship with God, to live with God for all of eternity? Can you imagine the anxiety, the stress that we would be under trying to know if we've achieved greatness with God in that way? It would be exhausting. But Jesus came and died for us so that because he died, we can have righteousness. So that because his blood was poured out, we can be forgiven. And it's the gift of grace that we have that reconciles us with God so that we can have a life with God. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is active and at work in our lives conforming us to become like Jesus, to live lives of worship and gratitude and greatness because of what Jesus Christ has done. So we come to this table now, remembering the way that Jesus has served us. This meal is for all of you in this room who know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, maybe you find yourself completely exhausted anxious, stressed out, trying to live a good life, trying to measure up to some sort of standard in your own mind. You see, the life that Jesus offers you is a life of peace with God. The life that Jesus offers you is a life of freedom. Freedom in living under him and his leadership in your life. And now would be a great time just to let the bread and the cup pass by you. Now would be a great time for you to just consider what Jesus Christ did for you and the way that he served you. And now would also be a great time to step into relationship with him through a simple prayer, just confessing your sin, inviting Jesus into your life. I'd love to talk with you after the service. And now as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May his Holy Spirit guide you and lead you in serving. Serving in extraordinary ways as he would lead you. To impact this world so that they would know you, Jesus. Jesus that we know and we love so much. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.